You can go ahead and have a seat. Thank you again for, for joining us here at the Capitol Church. My name is Luke. I'm on staff here. If you're a mother in the room, we just want to say happy Mother's Day to you. We want you to feel celebrated and honored here this morning. So if that's you, if you're a mom, uh, we have a gift for you that's going to be on the table in the lobby. So go ahead and grab that on your way out. Again, we want you to feel loved, appreciated, celebrated, and honored. And so there's a gift for you uh, on your way out. <clears throat> um, this is uh, the last talk we have in a sermon series that we're doing. We're going to be doing something else starting next week, which I'm super excited about. Uh, but I can take you back uh, to maybe my first memory of like genuine disappointment and heartbreak and feeling crushed. For me, I can take you to seventh grade where I feel like that was the first time I actually felt some like deep disappointment and being crushed. And the situation is I, I had worked pretty hard up to seventh grade in my life to be a great basketball player. And in seventh grade, uh, it was the first year you could actually play for the school team. So it was like Abington Heights, middle school basketball, seventh grade tryouts. Uh, so I, I go to tryouts. I have all kinds of hopes and dreams for my basketball career to ensue. Uh, and I make the team, which no surprise, I felt very confident about that walking into the gym. Uh, but to my disappointment, uh, I never actually played any meaningful minutes in that coming year. And I can remember times sitting on the end of the bench feeling totally crushed. And to make matters worse, I was sitting next to a friend of mine whose name's Cody. And, and I'm, I'm already sitting in the end of the bench. I'm feeling disappointed and crushed. I feel like I don't know what God's doing. I'm confused. I'm mad. All of these emotions. And to make matters worse, uh, I'm sitting next to a kid on the team who every time I put myself, like me and Cody are in the same category, I start feeling worse about myself on that spot on the bench. There was a moment where uh, the, the game was going on, which Cody and I obviously aren't playing. We're on the end of the bench. Uh, it's not a timeout. It's not in between quarters. The game is happening in front of us. We're in our uniforms, uh, available to play, and Cody stands up and he starts walking himself out of the gym, and I'm, I'm sitting next to him, and so now my attention turns away from the game into Cody to see what's happening. He eventually walks himself totally out of the gym, and so I'm sitting there kind of confused as to what's happening, and a couple minutes later, he comes back in with just handfuls of concessions, comes back, sits on the bench, and starts eating candy. And I realized in that moment that during warm-ups in a lot of the game, Cody had money on him that entire time. And at some point, felt like I'm feeling pretty hungry, takes the money from his uniform, goes out, buys himself concessions, comes back, sits down on the bench. And in this entire time, my coach doesn't notice or doesn't care. It's like my, he's not even looking down that side of the bench. So now I'm sitting next to Cody while he's just pounding Skittles thinking, we are in the same situation here. There was another time in the coming week where in the middle of the game, Cody's mom brought him a bag of Wendy's and he's sitting on the bench literally eating a meal during the game. And through this whole process, I'm literally thinking to myself, I'm crushed because I'm disappointed, I had all these expectations, everything's falling flat, and to make matters worse, 
I'm sitting next to Cody. Like, we're in the same situation here, except I really want to play. And there was a moment where the coach in a game, like total scrub minutes, we blew this team out. It's like, get the kids at the end of the bench in. He waves Cody to get into the game, and Cody just puts up his hands like, I'm good. I'm good. I, I, don't, I don't want to play. I'm comfortable here while he's just eating his food on the end of the bench. Incredibly disappointing for me. Here, here's what I, I want to talk about ultimately this morning. From small to big details, from crushingly painful to incredibly joyful, I want to show us and bring clarity to what God is doing in our life. Because what I know is some people walk in here with things going on in their world, and maybe even Mother's Day is part of this, that you have all kinds of heartbreak and disappointment and confusion. You come in here with all these varying degrees of suffering, likely way more significant than not playing on the seventh grade basketball team. You come in here feeling a lot of deep emotion. And I want us to enter into it and talk about it. But before we get there, let me remind us of where we're at in a series. We're in a series called More Than a Moment. And here's the idea behind it. We have talked early and often as a church about what Jesus brings to humanity. With Jesus comes a lot of blessing and a lot of benefit, none more important and none more celebrated in our church than forgiveness of sins. Sometimes you would hear Christians say that Jesus brings salvation. This is a term to just describe that what comes with Jesus is a forgiveness and a freedom from yourself from your own brokenness, from your own mistakes. Jesus comes with that, and we've celebrated that and talked about it, and we will continue to do so. But there's actually more to Jesus than just the moment where you can go from death to life or from not forgiven to forgiven. Jesus brings more than just a moment of blessings and benefits. This is where we're at, and for some of you, there are blessings that you can access, that you have access to, maybe as a follower of Jesus, that you have yet to live into. And I think for other of us in the room, there are blessings and benefits that come with Jesus for you to discover, maybe for the first time. I would say as a, as a follower of Jesus, it is likely that even if you have said yes to Jesus and become a follower of Jesus, there's a lot that Jesus brings that you and I have yet to live into. I think of this every time I see something new on an iPhone. Like I have an iPhone and I know that that machine can do way more than I have access to. It's like I just saw this, this video recently that you can record a video on an iPhone with whatever song you want playing in the background. And I thought, okay, I definitely, I don't really have much use for that. But I didn't know that you could even do that. And I know I have access to all kinds of benefits that would really help me, but I don't access any of them ever. If you don't have an iPhone, thanks for ruining every group chat you're in, and uh, you should get one. Uh, that's some of how we live as followers of Jesus. There is benefits and blessings that come with Jesus that we have yet to realize, discover, and live into, but there are some in the room that aren't a follower of Jesus that I would say, I just want you to have the fullness of who Jesus is and what he brings to humanity. Yes and amen that he brings forgiveness and freedom to you. But there is also more that Jesus brings to humanity. And so we've created this series to highlight three of them in three weeks. 
Week one, we highlighted rest for your soul. Week two, we highlighted a reality that Jesus brings and exposes. And this week, we're going to find the third benefit in Matthew chapter 16. So if you have a Bible, this is a good time to grab it. If you don't, on your way out, as always, there are Bibles on a table out there. We would be happy for you to just take one of those. Matthew 16 is where, is where we're going to be for a lot of this morning. Uh, th- there, are, there are a lot of reasons that people don't claim Christianity and don't believe in the things that Christians believe. One of the most prominent reasons that people don't believe in Christianity is suffering. This is the idea of suffering happening like out the doors, like suffering that you can see on a big scale outside of your own life and also suffering that happens in your own life. A lot of the conflict comes for people when they can't reconcile how there could be a powerful and a good God and at the same time, all of this difficulty, hurt, and pain be true of people's lives. The difficulty of some belief systems is how do you answer that question that we actually believe that there is a good God who's for you at the same time as all-powerful, all-knowing, and still on the other side, on the same tracks, there are suffering, there's hurt, there's pain. How do you reconcile both of those things to be true? In 1967, there was a 17-year-old named Johnny Erickson Tata, and she got in a diving accident that left her paralyzed in her arms and legs. She describes this moment that once she was diagnosed and it was like, hey, you're, you're never going to walk again. You're going to be a quadriplegic the rest of your life. She describes that moment at 17 years old going into what she would say is a deep, dark depression. And how she describes it is it's like she had a life and she knew that she was alive, but felt like she had lost everything valuable to her and that she actually was alive, but didn't have a life anymore. She was trying to make sense, as she would describe it, of what just happened in her life and how this lines up with a God who loves her and has power to intervene, yet has chosen not to. How do we make sense of suffering? How do we live in a world where difficult things are put on our plate? Some of you walk in here feeling that. Some of you will leave here and experience that. How do we live in a world, maybe a season, a moment, or a lifetime where that can be characterized by suffering? How do we live in this moment? And and what we want to talk about ultimately here this morning is not just how to make sense of suffering that's in your life, but I think as we actually dig into this, we're going to find another benefit that comes with following Jesus beyond salvation, that even in suffering, There's something going on as a follower of Jesus that is an irreplaceable benefit that I think regardless of what you believe about the claims of Jesus, you would want this walking out. Whether that comes with Jesus or not, I think you walk in here and want what Jesus brings to people in suffering. So Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to start reading in verse 13. Here's what it says. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? So we've got Jesus addressing his close friends and followers and says, hey, there's all kinds of chatter going on about who this Jesus of Nazareth actually is. 
They've seen him do some crazy things and crowds are following him. And so Jesus wants to get a little bit of a pulse on what the crowds are saying about who he is and what he's up to. Verse 14, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But, but what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? And, and remember this name, verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, Peter crushes it. He nailed it. Perfect answer. Verse 17, Jesus replied, blessed are you. Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. In other words, Jesus is saying, what you have just said of who I am and what I'm about, there's going to be a moment where that message, who Jesus is and what he's about, will explode in the world and it will cause a church movement to happen. And on that foundation of who he is and what he's about, lives are going to be changed. Verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Here's what Jesus is doing to his friends and his followers. He's saying there's going to be a moment here soon when I'm going to have to suffer in really significant ways. And this is not just a suffering that's like, hey, for a season and you'll be able to pull through. This is a suffering that's going to be so intense and so much hardship that he will actually kill him in the end. He lets his disciples know this. And, and here's their response. Peter, you remember our boy who crushed the verbal quiz? Verse 22, Peter took Jesus aside, began to rebuke him. Now, Peter gets historically in Christianity a bad rap for a situation like this. But I would say, maybe to varying degrees, how many of us have also been put in a position in our relationship with God where we have felt mad, frustrated, and confused about what's going on? I read something like this and say, I, I at least have certainly been put in this position where it, where it seems like God is doing something. It seems like Jesus is moving in some type of way and I don't understand it and I feel confused by it. And so now I'm shaking my fist at God saying, what are you doing? This is where Peter's at. And verse 22, again, Peter took Jesus aside. He began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Peter understands who Jesus is and what he's about, and he can't reconcile who Jesus is. And also that person having a level of suffering in their life, that doesn't make sense to him. So he steps forward not only to defend Jesus, but to defend a life that should be free of suffering. Certainly, somebody with Jesus' credentials and reputation shouldn't also be a person who walks through suffering. That, that can't be reconciled in Peter's mind. And so he steps forward and says, don't talk about suffering. We're not going to let that happen to you. Don't talk like that. And Jesus responds in verse 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. 
Clearly, Jesus is less than impressed with Peter's response to potential suffering. And here's the point. According to Jesus, it would be a huge miss to slide yourself out from under suffering because it's actually possible that God has put suffering on your plate for a particular reason. It's actually possible that suffering is part of the plan of God. And if you want to get yourself out from under it, which would be very natural to us and very natural to Peter, all that would reveal is that we don't have the concerns of God in mind. We have human concerns. And Jesus is unimpressed with that. So he responds very strongly to say, it is actually possible that pain and hurt and confusion and difficulty is part of the good, perfect, and holy, right plan of God for my life. So for you to step in and try to remove suffering from my life's reveal that you're not actually concerned with God's concerns, but merely human concerns. This is Jesus's point. So in other words, it might actually be a good plan of God to include suffering in the lives of people that he loves with an infinite kind of love, which means suffering isn't a sign of God's absence. It isn't a sign of his anger. It's not a sign of his punishment or his lack of power. It's a sign of his detailed attention and sovereign intention with people to bring about his plan. There's a design in it all, which means nothing is wasted. None of the biblical writers, including Jesus, have ever talked about the idea that following Jesus makes your life less painful. None of the biblical writers, including Jesus, ever give the idea that the more like Jesus you become, the less difficult your life will be. In fact, the promise of God that he gives to followers of Jesus is that in the midst of all of that suffering, there's hope because he's up to something. There's hope and there's a comfort and there's a calm to know that there is somebody who's sitting on the throne of your life who is good, who is for you, who does have the power, and he's also in control. And there's a peace and a hope that comes to those who build foundation in suffering on that, not build the foundation on a life that's flimsy and without suffering. Because if you've ever walked difficult roads, you know that you have very little power and control to get yourself out from under some suffering that God has clearly put on your plate. But in the midst of suffering, there's a place to look, there's a peace to find, there's a comfort to feel. Now, what I want to do for the rest of this morning is something we don't often do, but I want to take us to another passage of Scripture. And the reason I want to do that is because I think a genuine follow-up question would be like, okay, if God is up to something in the good in the bad, in the small details, in the big details, a follow-up question I think is a healthy one is, what is he up to? What is he up to? And without knowing the specific details of what's going on in your life, I can help you answer the question of what is God up to in your life? And I want to bring us to a part of scripture that I think gives a lot of clarity to that question. It helps us in the midst of suffering, and it's going to give us language that's going to be really helpful as we leave here and deal with real and true, genuine, authentic lives. 
So, so what I want you to do, if you have a Bible, flip to Romans chapter 8, which is a couple books to the right if you're in Matthew right now. Uh, if you're on a device, you can just scroll down a couple books and you're going to find Romans 8. I'm only going to read a couple verses in Romans 8, but I want to say that it's possible for these verses, and I've heard these verses used as like a, a weapon that, that becomes really unhelpful and I think even harmful to people in suffering situations. Typically, Romans 8.28, which is where we're going to start, can be gently tossed at people with a, a nice little smile in the midst of suffering, and it can be really harmful. And so I want to I talk about it because I think Jesus, through Paul, gives us a lot of language that can be helpful to us in suffering. And so Romans 8, I'm going to read verse, verse 28. Here's what it says. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Now, this is the gentle toss verse to people in suffering. Like, hey, I know you're going through something that is incredibly heartbreaking and difficult, and painful in the deepest places of your soul. Hey, but just know God's up to something good. Or hey, God's got a wonderful plan for your life. And, and that said, almost weaponized in hopes that somebody who's sitting in a hospital room, incredibly broken and disappointed because of suffering, that hey, hey good will come from this. It doesn't always turn out because the silver lining isn't always there and time doesn't always heal pain. Just last month, I was at my cousin, uh, had a two-year-old who passed away. I was at the funeral of a two-year-old in our family. And I can tell you that to be at a two-year-old's funeral is as horrific as you can imagine it to be, especially because I have a two-year-old. It was an absolute nightmare to be there. And you can imagine me walking into the hospital where my cousin and his wife are and just gently tossing them, hey, God's got a wonderful plan. Good's gonna come from this. How does that land and how does it feel to people in the midst of suffering? What is actually being communicated here? Because a silver lining doesn't always turn up and a silver lining is not actually what's being communicated. Because a silver lining makes God a reactionary God who's going to take negative circumstances and try and spin them into a positive instead of a God who's deeply intentional with every detail in our life. Those are different things. Silver lining is unhelpful, but there is something going on here that is helpful. I'm going to reread verse 28, and I'm going to attach verse 29 to it, which brings a lot of clarity. Here's what it says. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. What is that good? What is he up to? Verse 29, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The good that is coming to those who believe and follow Jesus is that in all details, God is working to make you like Jesus. This is the promise that from incredibly painful to unbelievably joyful and everywhere in between, every detail of your life, there is a sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful creator God who loves you and is for you and is intentionally moving in your life to draw you into the image of Jesus. This is what God is up to in your life. 
Why do you sit where you do at work? Why is the coworker that you sit next to the one that you sit next to? Why do you do this? Why is this a detail of your life? Why do you enter into this situation? On and on we can go with details. Why, why, why? The answer is God is conforming you into the image of Jesus. A great follow-up question to that is, do I even want that? Do I even want it? If it's true that every detail of my life is God making me more like Jesus, a good follow-up is, is that worth it? Like if in the end I could be convinced that I would be more like Jesus at the end of this road, is me walking the road worth what I would get in the end? I think that's a great question. I also want this place to be a place that you can ask hard and good questions like this. Like if we say, hey, we think you should become more like Jesus, I think a good follow-up is why? I would love for you to ask these types of questions. I find myself skeptical in asking these types of questions. If it's true that God is doing everything in my life to make me more like Jesus, do I actually even want it? Would it be worth walking an incredibly difficult road just to get that in the end? That's a great question, and and I'm going to help us answer that. One, one of the values we have here as a church, it's, it's called becoming. So if you like went to our website or our social media, you could find that. And what we say about becoming is we actually believe the pathway to a flourishing life is becoming more like Jesus. So we do value the process of spiritual development. That's what we say. In other words, we actually do believe the more like Jesus you can become, the more you step into a flourishing life. That is not to say the more like Jesus you become, the less pain you experience, the less hard things are part of your life. That's not it. But it is possible to experience suffering and difficulty in the same way Jesus did, with hope and with comfort and with peace. Because there is a moment in Jesus' life where he understands the suffering that's coming and he prays and asks God, is there a way that I can get to the results without walking this road? And God says, no. And so Jesus just straps up and signs up for it and walks the road because what God is doing in suffering and in the result of suffering is more valuable than if he were to remove suffering from Jesus's life. And the same is true for you and me. I think it's okay and a good prayer in the midst of suffering to ask God to remove this, ask God to lighten the load. But if he says no, it puts you in a good camp with Jesus. And it allows God to, in that, say to you, there is something more valuable that I'm creating in saying no to this than if I were to say yes and remove the suffering. I want to give you an example. We, uh, Shaylin and I became parents a little over two years ago, and uh, the, the pregnancy was, was healthy the entire time, no problems, no indication that anything was bad, and there was like, I think it was a Monday morning, Shaylin wakes me up at like 2 a.m. and says, hey, I think my water broke. It's interesting when it's like first-time parents, it's like, I'm pretty sure that happened, but it, I, don't, I don't really know what that would even be like. 
Uh, and so she ends up calling the hospital, and they're like, yeah, come, come in. So like 2 a.m., we go rolling into the hospital, and I feel like at this moment, we're driving to the hospital. There's obviously nobody out on the roads. And so I think it's probably a good husband, good future father move to just like pray on the way there. Uh, so I, I pray some type of prayer that's like, you know, hey, God, thank you so much for this and that. And uh, just want you to know that, you know, our boy we're about to have, you know, he's yours. Whatever you choose for his life, sign us up. We just want you to get the glory from it. Amen. You know, I, I finished that feeling A1 crushed it. Like, I'm just, I'm just nailing this on the way to the hospital. Uh, so we get there, and eventually, you know, labor starts and all of that. It gets to the point where Brooks is about to actually be pulled out, uh, and I, I'm standing in a location that I didn't really want to be in, to be honest with you. So I, I watch Brooks get pulled out, and he's very gray-ish, and uh, to me, he doesn't look like he's breathing, and he's, he's totally lifeless. And so my initial thought is like, I don't really know like what's going on in these types of environments, but I don't think this is what it's supposed to be like. And a nurse comes over and she says to us, hey, once I cut the umbilical cord, I really hope he starts crying and indicating that he's like breathing and moving. And so the nurse comes over, cuts the umbilical cord and nothing happens. So she takes uh, Brooks over to a table in our room, and I don't know what to do, so I just, I follow her over there, and before I even get over there, there's about 10 to 12 nurses and doctors just come pouring into the room, and so I, I start to step back a little bit, and now I'm standing next to the bed where Shaylin's laying, and for the next about five minutes, I watch them perform CPR on Brooks. They've got this thing they're trying to get air into his lungs, and they're hitting him around pretty aggressively, saying things like, like, come on, buddy, start to breathe. You can do it. You can make it. And I'm not a big medical guy, but to me, I feel like every time I've watched either on TV or whatever, like CPR being performed, it felt like a last-ditch resort. Like, they're probably not going to make it, but this is like the last thing that we can do. And so I'm watching this happen to Brooks, and in this, this several minutes, I'm thinking to myself things like, how in the world am, am I going to help Shaylin and myself walk this road where we have nine healthy months of pregnancy and our first kid doesn't actually make it through the birth process? I start processing questions like, how am I even to communicate to our families what happened? that we came in here with all kinds of excitement and hope and we're not leaving with a kid. I'm going to these places of like, he's not gonna make it and I'm watching things that are incredibly difficult to watch and I'm standing next to Shaylin and we're just like holding hands, trying to figure out how in the world do we walk forward from here? Eventually, Brooks started like whimpering and crying and he started breathing and he started throwing up a lot of fluid and he ultimately pulled through. And what they told us is there's going to be no ramifications from this, like he's totally fine. They hooked him up to some monitors and gave him to Shaylin. And over the next two hours, we didn't communicate one word to each other because I knew if I even began to start talking, I would completely lose control of my emotions. 
And in that two hours, I honestly was, was processing what did I just watch and why did God make me watch that? Because if he's going to be healthy at the end of the day, why would God make me walk this particular type of road? To be honest with you, I felt like abused by God and I felt mad and angry that he would make me go through that process ultimately still to give us a healthy boy in the end. And as I processed moving forward from there, I was reminded of that fake prayer I gave on the way to the hospital. Hey, whatever you choose for this little boy, sign me up. Whatever you want to bring you glory, I'm good with that. And I realized that what what I actually wanted was, was nothing like that. What I actually wanted was just a healthy boy. I just wanted control and I wanted power over the situation. And it took that for God to what I felt like was tangibly prying my hands open to just give him control and to allow him to have the power that I clearly don't have. What I started to process moving forward was God moving in my life, even in a little situation like this, to release me of bondage, of worry and control. Because in this entire process, you know what I learned? that I am somebody that wants to have control. And when I feel like I'm losing control, I don't turn into a person I want to be. And so God, by his grace and his love and his mercy, put me in an environment where I clearly had no power to intervene. I learned something about who I was. And maybe even more importantly, I learned something about who he is. And I was ultimately led in this process to a place of feeling tangibly an overwhelming freedom and comfort that they can't wheel my little boy into a room or put him into a situation where God wasn't near, he wasn't in power, he didn't have control, and he didn't love and be for that little boy. And I also couldn't go into a room that God wasn't near to me, in control, full of power, loving and for me every step of the way. And you know what? I don't think I ever would have gotten there if I didn't for several minutes get to a place where I thought I have no control to intervene and this situation has just taken my little boy from us. What I learned is that a good and loving God would bring things into my life and make me walk hard roads because the result of that is freedom from some type of bondage. And maybe for you, it's not the bondage of control and of worry. Maybe for you, it's the bondage of approval or the bondage of creating an identity for yourself. I mean, on and on we could go. But a good God who loves you, like actually genuinely loves you, would bring about difficulty or tension in your life if the outcome was a healthy soul on the other side. The mistakes that we make is in the midst of suffering, we don't see God as moving to bring us into a healthy soul. We see him as somehow punishing us. And let me say, he he punished Jesus on your behalf. You, You never have to wonder if God is punishing you because he already punished Jesus for that. Wonder if God's angry with you. 
mistakes we make is that in the midst of suffering, we try to get ourselves out of it, or we think that while we're walking this suffering road, it's somehow evidence of a God who doesn't love us, or he's not powerful because he can't be both and still decide not to intervene into this difficulty. I don't know what's going on in your life, and I don't know what God is specifically trying to do in your life, but I can say generally that God is going to bring little to big, joyful to painful circumstances into your life to bring about what is healthy and good for your soul, to lead you into the image of Jesus, which ultimately is the flourishing life, that in the midst of difficulty, You can have hope. God's doing something. He's in control. He loves me and is for me. In the midst of difficulty, I can allow him to rightfully sit on the throne. That brings peace and freedom and comfort because I can tell you, and and you've all lived long enough to know, you don't know when suffering's going to hit. You don't know the the, the degree of suffering that's going to hit, and you're not going to know how to get yourself out of it. I can tell you, This road is being walked already in this room. It's been walked and it's going to be walked in the future. But there are ways like Jesus to walk the road of suffering, knowing this is not wasted. God is up to something. He's in control. He's good. He loves me. He is for me. And he's drawing me into something that has more value than if he were to remove that from you. If you truly want to be more like Jesus, then you would allow God to sit on the throne and to move you there. Because what I can say about your suffering and your current situation is you cannot be like Jesus without it. You you literally can't walk the suffering road and be like Jesus if you do not step forward and say, God is up to something, so I'm gonna submit to his plan. In his path, Jesus has walked the suffering road. He wanted out, but decided to submit to the plan and the process because he believed there was something more valuable on the other side than if God were to remove suffering from him. There is a healthy soul on the other side. We need to allow God to sit on the throne of our lives day in and day out. I can, I can take you back to Uh, leaving a a game in seventh grade where I was, again, incredibly disappointed that I hadn't played. And I got into the car, and I I think my dad could hear some sniffles in the back seat, so he knew I was pretty upset. And, And he said, hey, let me ask you a question. Do you think if God wanted you to be the leading scorer and play every minute of every game, do you think there's anything Coach Perry could do to change that? And I said, no, I don't think so. He said, do you think if God wanted you to sit on the bench and never play a meaningful minute of your seventh grade year, do you think there's anything Coach Perry could do to change that? At this point, I I knew where he was going, and I didn't want to engage it. But I just said, no, I I don't think so. And he said, do you think that God is actually doing something in your life that the perfect and ideal soil and situation for him to accomplish what he wants to do in your life is for you to sit next to Snacks Pascalicchio, a.k.a. Cody, and watch people play. 
And it was a perspective that for the first time I understood what Romans 8, 28 and 29 is saying, that there might actually be suffering a part of the good and perfect plan of God in my life. And it would be a mistake for me to not maximize that or to see that this is not wasted. Let me submit to the suffering God's put in my plate and know that he is up to something more valuable than if he were to remove it. And what I ultimately want is the flourishing life. And this is the only way I can get there. I I can't have the results without the road. This is what Jesus exemplified for us, and this is what we can walk forward in. Your suffering will never be wasted. Your suffering will never be without purpose to draw you into lasting and fulfilling life. Jesus not only comes for forgiveness of sins, but yes and amen to that. He also comes with soul rest. He also comes with clear reality. He also comes with hope. In all situations, he's up to something. He loves you and he's for you and nothing is wasted. I want to pray for us as we close that that God would actually allow us to see that and to believe that. And and I want to read for you this this one quote before I do that. This is from Johnny Erickson Tata, who was paralyzed, like I mentioned, for most of her life. She says this after more than 50 years in her wheelchair. She says, when I get to heaven, I'm going to push my wheelchair to the throne of Jesus. Notice I'll be walking. I'm going to thank him for every character-refining work he did in me and through me because of this wheelchair. And then I'm going to ask Jesus to send this wheelchair straight to hell because it was only needed and relevant because of my wreckage of sin. You can imagine a young girl who gets her life totally taken from her eventually gets to a point in deep, dark depression She actually believed what God was doing in her life was actually valuable. There's value in the wheelchair, but don't get her wrong. She wants to send that thing to hell at the end of the day. What God's producing today is valuable to allow him to sit on the throne and make decisions to lead us to a healthy soul. Let me pray for us. God, you are good, and sometimes I don't believe that. You're, you're for me, and sometimes I don't believe that. You want to lead me into health, and you want to lead me into a soul that uh, is flourishing, and sometimes I don't believe that. Sometimes I look at my situations and circumstances, and I don't know what you're doing, and I don't even want you to do it. I don't want to walk the road. I just want the results. But God, would you lead me and would you lead this room to understand the good gifts that you bring into our life and and how much you love us and how much you're for us, not just intellectually understand that, but would you give us a sense and a feeling that you are close to us, that you are near to us in suffering and you will walk with us, giving us power and strength and also producing us what is so valuable. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.